Let's stand again. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us, for the freedoms that we have. We, we pray for believers around the world who don't have the freedoms that we have, who lose their jobs, whose Father, lives are threatened because, just simply because they believe in your Son. We pray you give them strength today. We pray you give them new freedom and new favor today. And for us, Lord, let us be a people who stand firm in our faith. Challenge us today. Reveal truth to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus, but not only to that church, but all the churches in that area. It was supposed to be passed around among them. It was written around 60 A.D. from Rome while Paul was in prison in Rome. From prison, think about it, from prison, Paul is wanting to encourage the church and their faith, and that inspired word has been passed down to us today. This is a great book uh, to, for you to take and read five or six times in a row, just, just to, to let the message of it really sink in and to get a good feel for the message. In this book, Paul gives us pictures of the church. He, he pictures the church as a body. He pictures it as a temple. He pictures it as a mystery, as a new man, as a bride, and as a soldier. And he talks about Christian conduct, and he points out our call to stand against the devil's schemes. The devil is presented as a real character, not just a concept, but a real being with real intentions and real schemes. Jesus taught us to pray to be delivered from the evil one. Jesus taught us that the devil is the father of all lies. James tells us, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to resist the enemy and he'll have to flee from us. Peter tells us that he appears as an angel of light to deceive us. And John tells us that he will eventually be cast into the lake of fire, a real enemy. Paul, uh, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil lays out plans to sidetrack you from God's will. We could talk about many of them today. I'm going to talk about three of them. In all three of these, the enemy appeals to our flesh. He appeals to our desire for instant gratification instead of the discipline required for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not instant. It is continual. 
and we grow as we do the things God has told us to do. So here's the first one. The enemy wants to influence how you see the church, how we see being a part of something like this. There are two very successful deceptions that the enemy is applying to the church today, ones that are really confusing people. The first one is this, that somehow the organized church is somehow corrupt from God's intent for the church, that we're not supposed to have places like this that we gather together to worship God, that, that this was never God's intent. You hear this message in a lot of forms today in spite of the fact that Paul's writing, almost all of it, was dealing with how to organize the church from the establishment of elders and deacons to uh, individual gifting and giving to church services to how we respond to others in need. All sorts of things throughout the Bible, throughout Paul's writings, are written to us to show us how the church is supposed to be organized, how discipline is supposed to take place, how correction is supposed to take place, how, how we respond to each other's needs, what church services are supposed to look like, all of this is founded all throughout the New Testament telling us how to gather together and do rightly as the body of believers and not just to be separate individuals hoping for the best. The second thing he talks about is this. The, in America, the enemy calls us to see the church through the eyes of a consumer. We talked about this pretty extensively in the fall last year that he wants us to come into this place like we would go into a restaurant and kind of pick and choose what we want. Yet the Word doesn't call it anything like that. The Word of God tells us that the church is a family, that we become a family of believers united by the blood of Christ, that the family is a body, that we all have unique giftings and unique talents and abilities, and we should strive for those gifts and excel in those gifts that build up the body and that we're to submit to one another out of love. Here's our first stand. We are called to see the church as worshipers, not as consumers. The worshiper comes to church to seek God. He enters into this place with the mindset I'm coming with other believers to seek God's will in my life and to seek God's presence in my life. The worshiper comes into the church setting, the gathering of the body. He doesn't see the building as the church. He sees each other as the church. And he comes into this place to grow in the Word of God to learn more, to be established. He's hungry and he's thirsty for righteousness and he comes as a worshiper to submit his life to God and to grow in the Word of God. The worshiper comes to serve, not to be served. He doesn't come expecting everybody to take care of him. He comes into the door with a desire to serve others through, the, through their hospitality, through their gifts, through the, through the leading of the Spirit, to be a servant to others. The worshiper comes into the church to build the church body. This is his church. 
He sees it as his church. It's not their church. It's not your church. It becomes my church. He wants to build this spiritual legacy that when he stands before God, he can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You serve me well. He wants to see the members of the church and the organization of the church flourish and be healthy and make an impact on its community. And the worshiper comes into church to connect with the church, to connect with the family, to be involved with others, not just to be somebody who sits anonymously, but somebody who begins to connect with the church. In the Bible, the church is presented to us as both, first of all, universal. And and that term, the universal church, is used only a few times in the Bible. The universal church means that we are a part of the church that transcends space. We are connected with the church body all over the world. People will never meet. People will never know on this earth. We're a part of it. But it not only transcends space, the, the universal church transcends time. I'm a part of the same church. You're a part of the same church that Paul and Peter and James were a part of. We're a part of the same church as the early believers. And if the Lord should tarry, we'll be a part of the church of believers that follow us on this earth. They see us as a universal church. And this is kind of where some of the mistake happens. And, and people say, oh, you know, we're just part of the universal church. But hear me. Most of the time in the Bible, when the Bible is describing the role of the church, it's talking about the local church, the individual places where God grafts us into being his local family to let his light shine in our community and to be an impact on our community and for us to grow as healthy, healthy believers united around the cause of Christ. So here's the first place I want to challenge you to see today. How do you see the church and How do you make a stand against the devil's schemes in your personal life? And I'll tell you, one of the places that we do that is through our faithfulness to the church. Being involved, serving, worshiping, growing, connecting. That we take a stand against the devil's schemes. Here's the other place, another place where the enemy wants us to see, doesn't want us to see right. The enemy wants to impact how we see the Word of God, the Bible. He wants to impact how we see this thing. The enemy wants us to see the Word as outdated. You'll hear that a lot in the secular world today. That the Bible somehow needs to be refined from time to time to accept and fit in with what society, culture, says is right and normal. The enemy wants us to excuse away the teachings of the Bible that don't fit conveniently with our lifestyle, with how we're living our life. Yet the Bible tells us itself that all Scripture, everything in this book, has been given to us by inspiration of God. And it's for our good and profitable for us to teach us about doctrine and to teach us how to live. In Hebrews 4, it says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, 
of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Bible is our sure source. The Bible is our standard for faith. It's our standard for conduct. The Bible is the lamp for our lives to know which way to live and to see in the darkness. The Bible is the revelation of God given to us so that we can live together in the unity and the blessing of God. The Bible is living so that every time I read it, every time I study it, what I need for my life at that time is revealed. So many of you, you you tell this, man, I've read this verse a hundred times, but this time it jumped off the page at me. Why? It was living for you at that moment. It was God's revelation for that second. The Bible reveals right and wrong in uncertain times when the world is changing and shifting. The Bible is certain and consistent. The Bible reveals how we should approach God in our worship. And the Bible reveals eternity to us and how we can be sure of eternity. The Bible tells us of God's love and assures us that no matter what we've done, how God loves us. The Bible gives us wisdom. This is what we're taking time on Wednesday night to talk about is the wisdom of God as we go through Proverbs here in the the sanctuary. The enemy does not want you to know the Word of God. He wants wants you to be Bible illiterate. He wants you to be just not, he just wants to keep you from all knowledge of the Word. He wants to keep you from faithfulness to God's house. And he wants to make teaching time, coming just to learn the Word of God and to grow on the Word of God, to seem like some radically high expectation. You mean you expect me to actually go to a small group and talk about the Word of God? You actually expect me to come to classes and know about the Word of God? No, he want, God wants us to cherish his Word so much to know that his word brings life to us, to know the power of his applied word in our life, that it shifts from being something that we have to do to be something that we say, I want to do that because the Bible is a living source of life to me. The enemy wants to keep you blind to that, and God wants you to understand that. The enemy wants to do anything he can to keep you from reading the word of God. My call to you as a pastor is to read the word of God daily. Every day. Uh, on, on your notes, I've given you a, a very simple Bible plan. We pass this out every now and then. If you've never read the Bible before, uh, it's probably a mistake to just open it up and try to read it like any other book from beginning to end. You're going to probably get lost in about a week or two. But you, can begin to, you need to begin to lay this foundation. This is 66 books. They all have intention. They all have purpose. And, and so here I, I just lay this out. You know, read, start reading a chapter of Proverbs every day. Uh, read, read the book of James, and notice I put it on here, five times. Don't just read it once. Read it five times in a row. You don't have to read it all in one day, just five times in a row. Read it. Why? As you read a book over and over again, it begins to, it begins to become incorporated into your, into your thinking, into your spirit. Read the book, first John five times, then read Luke and Ephesians five times, and Acts and Philippians five times, and then Genesis. And when you've done that once, come talk to me. I'll give you something else to read. Now, if you don't have a Bible, an easy way to get one or to begin to read the Bible is to get your, 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 your smartphones 
and go just look up Bible. And, it, and for most of you, what it will turn out is it will show you, when you look up Bible on the apps, at the App Store, it will take you to a symbol that says Bible. Most of the, what you'll see the, right off the bat is the U version, Y-O-U version of the Bible. This is a wonderful tool. Uh, you can t- take this with you wherever you go. And it has all kinds of different Bible study programs in it that you can read about different things you may be going through. Uh, it has different versions, so you can compare what's being written. If you don't understand it in one version, you can uh, look it up in another version. It gives us all sorts of things uh, to look at and to see, and I would encourage you to do it. Now, one of the other things you'll find there is uh, what it, what's called the Bible app for kids. And this is a great little app, especially for young kids that you can, when they're, when they're going to be on screen time, to look at, and they can begin to see stories told to them, and they can begin to get the Bible wrapped up in their heart. Now, I, I will tell you, I use this mainly when I'm traveling. I use this mainly when I'm tired at night, and I don't want to hold a big Bible in my hand. That's my laziness coming out. I can get this out and sit in bed and open up the Bible and, and read it. And I want to encourage you, just, just begin to just start. Just start. Read a chapter a day. Just begin if, you have, if you're not doing it. If you are, keep, keep going. Now, here's the other thing. This is a full life study Bible. And if you don't have one of these, uh, you can get them. They're, they're various prices, but a good leather bound one's probably $40 or $50 now. And I love the full life study Bible uh, because it gives you an introduction to every book, tells you when it was written, what it was written for, some of the historical facts around it, some of the key verses in it, so that as you read that, that book, you know why that book was written. You know a little bit of the history of that book, and it, it's filled with, with notes down at the bottom that tell you what that Scripture means if you get to a Scripture that's tough. This is a great way to really begin to understand what was going on. Now, I'm going to leave this over here at the front. If anybody hasn't seen one of these, you can come by and look at this one afterwards. But a full life study Bible is a great thing for you to have for your personal devotional time to really go through. You can get them in the NIV version. I think you can get them in the English Standard Version. We typically read the English Standard Version here in our services, uh, but uh, NIV is good. In other words, whatever version helps you read the Bible, I would just tell you to start reading it. The purpose of learning the Bible is not simply knowledge. We don't listen and learn just to know things. Knowing is good, but the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of teaching and preaching is wisdom. Knowledge that turns us to right actions and builds us in right values. If all we have is knowledge then we haven't let the Word of God do its work in our life. The Word of God is profitable for doctrine. It's profitable, what? For reproof, to change me. It's profitable for instruction. And all of that is profitable because it leads me to righteousness, to do what is right. 
if all I do is read the Bible to get words to share to other people about their life and what they should believe, and it doesn't impact the way I live my life and my character, I've missed the point of reading the Bible. So what is your approach to the Bible? Is it sit on the shelf and gather dust? Or is it a book that you begin to read? Is it a book that you've begun to read? Is it a book you've begun to study? Do you approach it saying, God, show me what I need to see today? The enemy doesn't want you to read the Bible. Listen, the enemy's going to do everything he can to keep you from being faithful to his house, to God's house. The enemy's going to do everything he can to discourage you from reading the Bible. And our flesh is such that it's convenient for our flesh to just dismiss those things and not be committed to them. He goes against our weaknesses because these things are part of this spiritual battle of taking a stand and asking God to reveal truth to us. So it's time to take a stand. I want to encourage you, if you're not reading your Bible, begin. Come to Bible studies. Get in small groups. Do things where the Bible will be able to come alive in your life. Now here's the last one. The enemy wants to impact how you approach prayer. The enemy of your soul wants you to neglect prayer. He doesn't want it to be common in your life. The enemy of your soul wants you to see prayer as a ritual where you just repeat the same thing over and over again from time to time. The enemy wants prayer to be the last resort of the desperate instead of the common walk place, relationship place of the believer. Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Many, many times, Christians try to accomplish God's end by doing things in the flesh instead of doing the things they need to be doing in the spirit. We want to fight the battle on a fleshly realm instead of on a spiritual realm. And Paul's telling us our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. Some of you have loved ones and friends. You've been trying to convince them to come to Christ. You've been doing everything you can. You've been trying to force your kids to do certain things. And I just want to tell you, if you're doing it all in the flesh and you're not praying, if you haven't won the spiritual victory, you're fighting in the flesh instead of in the spirit, and the spirit realm's going to win. Let's look at what James says. James says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person. How do we become righteous? We become righteous through Christ, right? We're not righteous. We're righteous through Christ. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He's saying prayers powerful and effective. Jesus teaches us this. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are the, he gives us this list of topics of things for us to pray about so that we begin to have the victory of God. John Wesley was a great Methodist revivalist. The Methodist church sprang out of his revivals and out of his teaching. And he made this statement, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life. He does nothing unless someone's praying for it. And you may sit here and say, well, I know a lot of things happened when I wasn't praying for it. Doesn't mean somebody else wasn't praying for it. So I, I got saved and I wasn't praying to get saved. No, but maybe your mom was, maybe your dad was. Somebody was praying for it. In Acts chapter 2, the early church believed that these three things, were of great importance. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves. They gave themselves to fellowship. They gave themselves to teaching. They gave themselves to communion. And they gave themselves to prayer. They found the power of God and the way to make a difference through those things. And the church that we're a part of today sprang from people who were devoted to those very things. Tomorrow night, we've picked this 5 to 6.30 time because, you know, hopefully on the way home from work, you can just come by and spend, you know, just come in anytime you can, get here anytime after 5. We'll stay, we'll be done at 6.30, and we're just going to pray together because we believe prayer changes things. Now, friend, hear me. Until you understand our battlefield, the battlefield that you're on, until you understand that there's an enemy who's trying to have victory over your life that comes to steal and kill and destroy, as Jesus says, you will not have victory in the areas of your life in the measure that you're supposed to. You won't deal with the challenges of life as you should until you understand the battlefield that you're on. You won't conquer temptation as you should until you understand how the enemy is trying to affect your thinking about the church and about the Bible and about prayer. You won't overcome your background. Your background. You won't overcome that as you should until you approach the church right, until you approach prayer right, until you approach the Word of God in the right way. You won't overcome the wounds of life and how people have hurt you, how circumstances of life have hurt you. You won't find full healing until you begin to see the battlefield that you're on. You won't walk in courage as you should until you understand the spiritual battlefield, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but that it's a spiritual battlefield. You won't have victory in your gifting as you should. You won't have victory in your callings as you should. And you won't walk in the joy and the security of God's Spirit as you should until you begin to see that you're in a spiritual battle and God has given us certain tools to overcome that battle and to walk in victory. I'm just telling you, Paul says it. He says, take your stand. It's time to take a stand. 
He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Where are we strong at? Are we strong in ourselves? No, we're strong in the Lord. We're strong in his strength. We're strong in his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, de- the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me now and we're going to pray. We just open your heart to the Spirit of the Lord in this moment. Father, I I just pray as we open our heart to you. If we need to see our commitment to the church body, if we need to see how we approach church in a different way, if we need to see it in your way, a more biblical way, I pray you just help us today to see those places where we've gotten it wrong and Father, begin to see those places where we move from being a consumer to being a part of your body. Father, today, I pray in Jesus' name that if we've not been faithful to your word, we're not being faithful to your word, if, we don't, if we're not approaching it with joy, if with excitement, as the fruit-bearing tree of life to us, that'll change us and transform us. That our vision of your word and our desire to learn, our hunger for righteousness and our thirst for righteousness, let it be changed today. And Father, from this day forward, I pray you'd help us to pick up the tools around us and begin to read your word and to participate in things that'll help us grow in your word and we'll come in with an openness, not a defensiveness, but an openness to be formed in your will. And Father, for those of us who may have been fighting some battles with the tools of the flesh trying to have victory, let us see where our real battle's at. Let us win the the battle, first of all, in our prayer life. Let us see the power of prayer. That that it's powerful in its working. And that, Father, we would begin to apply ourselves spending that time with you praying about the things that concern our heart praying for our country praying for our world praying for believers around the world praying for friends in need for you have ordained as you've ordained gravity to work you have ordained prayer to work let us get it we pray in Jesus name in Jesus name amen prayer teams do you come down front please You love the Lord today? He loves you. He's given us these things for our good. He wants you to walk in victory. Have you ever, are you living a life that acknowledges Jesus 
as Lord of your life. What does that mean? As supreme commander of your life. Not led by your desires. You, you want to be led by him. You He's supposed to be. Culture is not supposed to be in charge of how I think and how I live. He's supposed to be in charge. Have you acknowledged him as that? Have you asked him to be your personal savior? See, friends, someday we're going to stand before God and the key book that's going to be open is the book of life. And the only people that get into heaven are those whose names are written in the book of life. That happens when we call on the name of the Lord. Just a moment. Everybody bow your head for just a moment. You'll say, Pastor, I, I, I need to call on the name of the Lord today. I need to ask him to be my personal Savior. I need to acknowledge that he is the Lord of my life. And I, I need to do that right now. I need to ask him to be those things for me. I'm just going to ask you right now to take this first step with me. Take this first step. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want that in my life. God bless you. God bless you. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. God bless you. Others today, raise your hand. God bless you. Anyone else today? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I call upon the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I confess that you are my Lord and I receive you as my Savior. And I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you raised your hand or if you didn't,